This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. A memoir has been written by Dr. Edward A. Nichols, titled Fade to White. And I welcome Dr. Nichols from the New York City area of the United States to the program. Welcome, sir. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Your story is uh, one that is uh, fascinating and interesting to read, but why did you write and uh, write your story or tell your tale and uh, share your history? Well, it began with uh, talking to my daughters. My daughters um, are the product of a mixed marriage between my wife and I, and uh, they were concerned about their race or what racial designation they had. And it, it made me think about um, so many things because I was confused about things uh, in my past, and I wanted to make sure um, certain of these historical facts. And so that led me on a, a big search. And it was a search for my father, who left the family when I was eight years old. And he left, that was in the, in the 1940s that your, your dad uh, yes. left the family. Yes. What did you discover that perhaps uh, startled you or maybe even inspired you? Well, what, what inspired me was when I thought about how uh, I became, quote, fatherless, end quote. Uh, my father had come back from uh, military service, and uh, he had uh, a medal because his, uh, he was, the ship was sunk in the South Pacific. And he came home, and um, we had this big celebration in my school in PS 78 in the Bronx. And then uh, shortly after that, the next few days, I heard an argument with uh, my uh, mother, and they were in the bedroom. And I went to find out what was going on, and they had a big, loud argument. And I came in there, and my mother was on the floor of the bed and this was a very big moment in my life and because the next day my father left and i never saw him again in my life did you discover anything about his leaving at least uh, his future life following the, the leaving the family did not you? at all nothing not at all i never hmm. found out or i didn't find out until 20 years ago but i had searched for my father all of my life in, in many ways, in many forms. And finally, in uh, 1995, um, th- I found a clue. Oh, my brother and I found a clue to where he could be. Your education, was it all stateside, or did you also have educational experiences in Europe? Yes, I went to medical school in Europe when I was 20 years old. Uh, I first started in Mainz in Germany, but after a year I went to Basel, University involved with you. That is a remarkable journey, considering the 
challenges you must have faced as a young adult and a young child going through the education system. What was the inspiration behind that? Who was your motivating force? Well, uh, I w- when I uh, tried to get into medical school uh, here in the States, I uh, was 18 years old, and uh, being uh, a black American, African-American, I naturally wanted to go or look at Howard University. And I went to Howard University and was a guest of uh, Margaret uh, Butcher, who was a professor there, and uh, her daughter, who I knew from school, from Sarah Lawrence. And she told me, you would never get into medical school here because they wouldn't allow you to be uh, so young going to medical school. So I went home a little disappointed, but I spoke to another girlfriend's uh, father, who was uh, John Mosley, Dr. John Mosley, at Mount Sinai in radiology. Uh, and he told me, he said, Ed, you you uh, learned German and French in college. Why don't you go to school in Europe? And I went home and um, asked my mother very quietly. Uh, I said, uh, Dr. Mosley said, I should think about going to school in Europe. And my mother said, why not? Hmm. And that was the beginning of my going to school in Europe. There was a, a strong mom who was an encourager oh, in your mother, history. My mother was a rock. She was incredible. She was such a power in my life and, and raised my brother without my father, much to the um, praise of all the, uh, of the people around us. Everybody extolled her virtues until the day she died. She was, a, she was incredible. Uh, Dr. Nichols, this is your personal story, but do you think it will be of interest to a wide audience? Who do you want to I, reach with this? I think that many people, especially uh, in the black and Hispanic community, have similar problems because I have discussed my book with many of my friends and people that I've met in the practice, in my medical practice, and they have similar stories of uh, the son or the daughter not for be, oh, being raised by a single parent, usually the mother. And they're wanting to know where their father or who their father was. And this will sh- surely give them a, uh, how do you say, impetus to even find out, to even begin the search. Because to me, it's important to have a whole family. And the underlying message that comes through, what do you think that is? What are they going to find most fascinating about your book and your read? I think that you should uh, be able to go out in the world and discover the world and find out where you can find your niche, find the place that you can grow up and thrive. For me, it was growing up in Europe for the years that I was there and how what a wonderful experience it was to get out of the Bronx and then to thrive based on that when I came back to the United States. And how long did it take? Have you been writing this for a number of years and just decided to publish it, or what is your story? I have been writing this for the last 20 years. 20 years. Did you have to do a lot of research to find some of the uh, missing clues to your history? Oh, my brother and I uh, searched everywhere, and finally we were lucky that we found in the attic where my uh, mother's personal uh, uh, belongings were uh, a little paper that fell out while we were looking, and it uh, it was the uh, Social Security document of my father. Amazing. 
And with that, we we renewed the search um, and came up with uh, documents and things that led us to the discovery of uh, what happened. In in Chapter 13, you, you have titled that Reflections. And in looking back, how would you describe your history and your story? Well, the story is of my life, and the life was... Um, living without a father and growing up in search of a father and then finally finding what happened to my father and what happened to others associated with my father that it made me think whether I, it was better that I didn't have a father hmm. and how different my life would have been if my father had stayed with us. Do you think you would have uh, gone into the medical profession had you had a, a traditional family? I couldn't say that. I mean, I was driven to be a doctor, as was my brother. But uh, we were just ambitious, um, ambitious. But I don't know how my father would have uh, uh, helped that ambition or uh, helped me uh, realize my dreams. I don't. I have no idea. Sure. I don't think. I don't think that. I don't think that he would have been as receptive as my mother, from what I have learned about him. As a child of uh, or, or, or addressing biracial uh, relationships, what do parents do to encourage their children and, 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 and give them the confidence they need to be successful in life? Well, nowadays, I, uh, in the last 20 or 30 years of uh, my experience with it, I think it has been a, uh, a, a very good thing to raise a child biracially, i.e. proud of both cultures, and uh, and give him give him the uh, the benefits of all the both cultures provide. Absolutely, great I think, advice. I yes. think it makes it makes a stronger individual. I believe that's true. Uh, you, you, I believe in hybrid vigor. <laughs> now you have uh, because of the discovery of your your father's past and some of the other things that you reveal in your book. Did your family have any reactions to the discoveries? My family was just as astonished as as I was, as, as my brother and I were. And uh, what, what and who we discovered in our family was even a greater surprise. And it was a surprise for them also. Have other individuals, friends of yours, or our colleagues read your book, your memoir, and had any reaction to it? Oh, they think it was a great book. They think it was something that made them think of, well... They learned a lot about me, which I thought that I expressed in my daily life, but they didn't know. And uh, they found out about me, and even my brother was surprised to read the things that I thought, but I never expressed to him. There's a lot of hidden conversation in families. Uh, you know, I have uh, two older siblings, and I still discover things about them in Oh, yes, that's, that's amazing, because if you... Uh, you can live with the person, but you really don't know them until you, unless you ask the right question. And if they're willing to talk about the question and give you an answer. Yes, and as the uh, husband of a wife that I've been married to since college days, I still don't understand her. So I just, I just oh. th throw that aside. <laughs> I still don't know her. <laughs> Uh, and it's been a long marriage so far. Uh, if you were to introduce this book to someone and get them interested, how would you do so? Well, I would like to, 
tell them that uh, this is my memoir. This is my life, and uh, there is so there are many facets to it that I think uh, uh, would be interesting to read. I think that um, uh, even those who know me from my practice in New York would be interested to read what I thought of be, uh, being a pediatrician in New York and my thoughts about it. The people who I went to through medical school with in Switzerland, they enjoyed my thoughts uh, and are commenting on them in the Alumni Association in Basel. Would you underscore or say to them, once you finish this, you may be inspired? I think I inspired at least three other doctors who I went to school with or who I know went to school in Europe, and they are beginning to write their own memoirs. In fact, one of my great uh, friends, uh, Dr. Benny Prim, is, has finished his uh, memoir, and it is published, and we both comment on similar um, things in the book. Uh, Dr. Nichols, where did you practice your medicine, and uh, what was the focus? I practiced medicine, pediatrics in the Upper West Side and later in Harlem and uh, since 1970. And my, I still have the practice, although my daughter, who is now a pediatrician, is uh, gradually taking over the practice in Harlem. Well, congratulations. Now, you focused on, on families and children who perhaps were underserved. Yes. Uh, we were asked by St. Luke's Hospital and Roosevelt Hospital to uh, open the practice in Harlem, and that was 30 years ago. And uh, I uh, um, continued there. And we try to mentor a whole, uh, many children, and I work there uh, with also with the uh, Reverend Calvin Buss of the Abyssinian Baptist Church on 138th Street. In fact, I took care of his children and his grandchildren in the last 30 years there. Phenomenal. Thank you for your practice and for a tower of hope that you have established in that community and how you have served those who are in need. This is a great idea, great read, because it's a fascinating observation from the streets of New York, Brooklyn in particular, to a successful medical career. The title of the book, again, is Fade to White, a memoir, and the author, Dr. Edward A. Nichols, has joined me from the New York City area. Fifteen chapters, 210 pages or so. Uh, Dr. Nichols, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? They can get a copy of the book online at Amazon and also in iUniverse.com. Have you started a web page or a fan page yet? I have a web page associated with the uh, uh, Facebook, but now I am uh, getting another web page with a yahoo.com. Listeners, you can keep in touch with Dr. Nichols by uh, doing a search under his name, Edward A N I C H O L S M D, yes. and the title of the book, Fade to White A Memoir. This is a, a, a fascinating read because of uh, many of us have unusual family histories, and this is a way to perhaps address some of those questions we may have. Thank you for sharing your story. Are you planning to do a sequel to this or write another book? Yes, I'm already, I'm already writing the, the next uh, book. It will be a memoir continued. The story never ends. It doesn't end. Thank you, sir, for sharing your story and for inspiring others. Thank you again for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Jay Douglas. Thank you. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker.
You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Dark Side of the Looking Glass. And the author is Vernon Harris, and Vernon joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Vernon. Hello, Steve. Great to have you with us. This is the absolute, well, I don't know if it's the absolute worst nightmare, but for someone like Sam Michael, the main character, uh, who never went to war, but suddenly in this nightmare he's being attacked by this demon that is taking him back into the Vietnam War 30 years ago. Here he is uh, living the worst nightmare for him. Absolutely. Uh, You can imagine what a nightmare it would be if you had never been in war and... uh, uh, all of a sudden, you find yourself there and don't know how, and and uh, don't know how to deal with it. And we're also dealing with this incubus, as you call it, uh, this mythological demon who is literally changing this dream into a nightmare, where people think he's just asleep from an accident, but he is in the well. I guess he's fighting for his life, isn't he? Absolutely. Uh, yes, uh, Sam is uh, in a coma uh, in his hometown hospital. Uh, at least his body is there, but his mind, his psyche, his personality, his real person is 30 years in the past uh, trapped in the body of another soldier in the Vietnam War. Well, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, Vernon, and how this book came about. Okay, uh I grew up in the in the country. I grew up in uh, Grady County, uh, Georgia. I was born in a house in Grady County, and uh, my father was a farmer, and uh, so I grew up on a farm and the, uh, just a very simple, basic life. I uh, we did not have uh, electricity or running water, as we called it, or or indoor plumbing or anything of that nature. We were we cooked with wood. We heated the house in a fireplace with a fireplace. We had kerosene lamps, and we drew water from a well that was hand-dug. Uh, so I grew up a very basic, simple life uh, in the country. 
And so I came to appreciate uh, nature and the natural things of life because we depended on it. And uh, how go did, ahead. well, I was going to ask you uh, how this song's reflections by the Supreme triggered all, triggered all of this. Okay, uh, years later, 1994, as a matter of fact, I'm an architect. Uh, I'm working in my office, uh, business is slow, and I'm listening to the radio, and this song, Reflections, uh, came on. And uh, it just triggered in my mind because of uh, some of the lines in it in particular uh, about the song, and also it was a theme song for the TV series China Beach. And China Beach, of course, involved uh, the Vietnam War days and uh, revolved around a hospital unit in Da Nang, Vietnam, uh, and a beach that they named China Beach. And so when I heard this song, it brought back the memories of, uh, of the Vietnam War and uh, many of the scenes I had seen uh, on live television during the time. Uh, of the fighting going on in Vietnam, and it just got me to thinking about uh, the Vietnam era. And then, strangely enough, just after this particular song, Reflections, played by uh, Diana Ross and the Supremes, another song came on by Creedence Clearwater Revival titled Run Through the Jungle. Now, this particular song, their version of it, the intro music sounds like fighter jets screaming overhead in my mind maybe they were flying off to a target in Vietnam it just got me thinking about Vietnam and the, those issues and of course and then when I thought about Vietnam I thought about my brother who was uh, sent to Vietnam in 62 as one of the early advisors in Vietnam and then my best high school buddy who was drafted in 65 and sent to Vietnam and so that kind of the background of how the uh, story uh, got its theme in this base. And you were never drafted, you never volunteered, so you was that kind of wearing on you, you think, deep within Exactly, you? and uh, no doubt. Uh, like I say, my best friend was drafted. Uh, we were separated at, at that time, and uh, but I wasn't. My number didn't come up. Uh, and so it, it got me to think about, you know, how did I manage to skip it, you know, why me? Uh, just like you, you did not go to Vietnam yourself, but uh, you went somewhere else, even though you were thought you would and was training for it. Right, right. Uh, myself, I got to think about it, and, and maybe, uh, maybe it's the feelings of uh, guilt, you know, that I didn't go that uh uh, got the playing on me, and so that's why that I uh, wrote the book like I did from that background of Sam Michael, who was not in the war himself, but then uh, was sent there through this uh, uh, medium of uh, time and space transposition of his uh, psyche. Right, he's 50 years of age, he gets in this accident, and suddenly he's 
back in the past 30 years, uh, as you put it already, in the uh, body of a soldier in Vietnam, and now he's fighting for his life. Exactly. Yes, uh, the soldier Willie Waters uh, was involved in a, in a, a bicycle bomb in Saigon and uh, went into a coma, and Sam Michael... Uh, went into a coma at exactly the same time in uh, 1995, and so Sam Michael's mind went back and took over the body of uh, Willie Waters. So here we have a situation where now he's got to muster all of his forces within him to survive. Exactly. And, uh, of course, he's, he can't figure out why uh, that this has happened. Uh, prior to his uh, uh, freak accident where he wound up in the hospital and, and in the coma, he and his best friend, uh, John Strauder, uh who had been in Vietnam with his brother, uh, were talking about uh, Vietnam and talking about his brother in particular because his brother James is uh, MIA and has been since the Vietnam years. And uh, they were discussing how to maybe go about looking into uh, more to try to find uh, uh, what really happened to James. Well, and so then the freak accident, Sam is in the hospital, he goes into a coma, and his mind, uh, through the influence of... Uh, a terrible nightmare brought on by the incubus uh, literally transposes himself uh, back to Vietnam and uh, winds up in the war with his best friend, John Strauder, who was drafted in 65. And so in this case, this terrible nightmare and this uh, ruthless incubus that has trapped Sam in back to 1965. Uh, there's somewhat of a blessing in disguise. Exactly, exactly, and that that's the end results. That uh, that what is so terrible and and uh, awful on the front end, uh, in the end, uh, turns out to be a blessing for Sam because it gives him opportunity to investigate firsthand on site. Uh, about his brother James. Now, we want to talk about some of the themes in your book. One, you say, in fact, you call it first and foremost, our government's role in times of war or peace, as seen through the eyes of Colonel James Michael, uh, of course, uh, Sam's brother. Uh, t talk about that. You know, some things are better left unsaid and unknown. Exactly. Uh, I created uh, uh, a covert agency uh, in my book called Special Operations Services, uh, similar to the CIA uh, in its background, but different in that it is not controlled by the government. It was set up by a group of generals after after uh, President Truman uh, relieved uh, Douglas MacArthur of his duties, his post, so to speak, and uh, 
so uh, this agency set up by these generals to be able to look into things without the government influence. Now, Janus Michael was an agent uh, drafted by this uh, SOS, Special Operations Services, into their service and put in Vietnam in particular. And when I say that some things are better left un unknown and unsaid, is the fact that personally I think that in today's time there's too much transparency within the with what the government is saying they're trying to do anyway. It's not good, I don't think, that we know everything that's going on behind the scenes with the uh, secret services like the CIA and others for our welfare, for our you know, uh, nation's welfare. It's, there's just many times no way you can fight fire without fire. There's no way that you can negotiate uh, certain situations with others who have no intent to negotiate except you know their only actions are to uh, get you at whatever cost and they don't mind giving their lives up for it so this is what I'm referring to uh, right about the government's role now you also see in this story and in life I guess I'm just interpreting this that we have someone watching over us Yes, in the Christian environment, uh, uh, they refer to it as a guardian angel. And uh, in the uh, Native American world of uh, my heritage, my background, we have the Great Spirit. And uh, in other cultures, they have similar entities they say are with them. That is, uh, in Africa where I was, they had good spirits and evil spirits and the good spirits went with them and watched over them to help ward off the evil spirits so that's what I'm referring to sometimes it may it may only be that you have that you believe it to this degree and you have created it within your own mind and because you have done this it is a help to you and that plays uh, a role in your book yes and in the case of Sam Michael, he's in a bad situation in Vietnam. But he has also someone watching over him, even at the same time that this uh, nightmare is uh, has him trapped in Vietnam, having to literally fight in battles, yet he has someone watching over him. Uh, in this case, uh, the angel, in a sense, appears as his mother who is still alive in the in the in the story and uh she is talking with him and guiding him and and telling him you know son you you need to be here and this is what you need to do uh, things will work out uh, those kinds of things we've been listening to vernon harris the author of his book dark side of the looking glass vernon what's the best way to get your book my book is available in uh, hardcover, softcover, and uh, e-books. It's available through, uh, typically through, I would say, any local bookstore for online shoppers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and many other uh, sources. Well, thank you so much, Vernon, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you. I've, I've enjoyed it, and I appreciate it. 
You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, this book of poetry, Day Door Soul. And it's a collection of poems by George Epstein. George uh, has passed away and his wife has asked me to share some of the information that was explained on a questionnaire about his book, Day Door Soul. George was a mathematician, scientist, and poet. This mixture of experiences and passions came together to form the three-part poetry collection, Day Door Soul. It presents a progressive visual journey moving from awakening through the portal and finally to divine soul transcendence, as written by a religious man with earthly connections. George's collection is intended for those who are aware of the spiritual journey of life and for those who seek to unravel the mysteries of life through developing a deeper understanding of self. Epstein weaves imagery within his words to paint pictures that inspire and inform. Even through daily encounters, the greatness of life speaks in the mundane. Even a small ant on a beach has meaning. Globalism and humanity are linked to the individual good. Biblical and mythological images relate to the monotonous day by day. Epstein's poetry asks us to face our ethical dealings, learn the art of balance in daily life, and ponder the impermanence of life as we journey from consciousness through the doorway to our soul. Here are some descriptions of George Epstein by his wife, Lori. She says, George led a very interesting life. He was brilliant and excelled in everything he did. He hit a roadblock in his math research and switched to writing poetry. His poetry are memories and incidents about his life. His wife knew that he was writing poetry, and she considered it a hobby. George wrote from 2 to 5 a.m. while Lori slept. He did this for over 50 years. After George died, his wife opened George's computer and was shocked by the amount of poems that was written. She's learned a lot about George by reading his poetry. Here's one of his poems, titled Morning Blessings. Why is it 
upon waking in the morning that three dashes of water on the face from the nearby brook, and with a stretch of one hand to the sky, the other hand is content to touch the knee. The belly is happy at a campfire to have one egg, half a potato, some coffee. In short, the pit of you just wants to be king of the hill in view, out of reach, on the horizon, under the golden sun. Why is it? His wife, Lori, also says about George, I quote her, I assume he wanted those who knew him to remember him with a positive outlook. He idolized his grandchildren and wanted them to remember him. Since he isn't around to be with them, writing leaves a legacy of his beliefs and values. He believed that life is worth living. Live life to the fullest. Take risks and try new things. We're here on earth for just a short time. Set a good example and be a positive role model. Your soul is on a journey to grow. Give it the opportunity to do so. Here's another one of his poems titled, How Much More Do I Love You? More than the stars, the metal, your body and smile. Much more than these keys and tokens. I love you with my arms around your neck while our lips press on turnan while our eyes twine and our conceptions braid. We dream together holding hands, white clouds waft through the blue sky. A red bird circles above us. There are mild tremors in the earth below, or perhaps we feel just a mode of sound from the nearby rill. Dancing together, I love you in a way that I cannot love the supreme essence, the first beyond all, and also the one above all, who gave to each of us the other, who gave to both of us the story that we live with all the world on our planet Earth, and in this instance, the story that we live in the world as soulmates, now and forever. George's son, Mark, talks about his father in this way. I really think he was a nearly perfect father. He was a motivator and a teacher. He took his place as to show us the world. He wasn't afraid to try new things like rafting with two teens on a three-day rafting camping trip. You probably never knew this, but I used to go with him when he got a massage and watched him. Sometimes I even helped a bit. He was the coach of my third-grade basketball team. I have a picture of that I can show you one day. He was a hard worker and motivated me to be my best. He often surprised Grandma with presents, jewelry, flowers, and other things. He loved when we would pick him up at the airport or drop him off at the gate. Back then, non-travelers could go all the way to the gate on arrival and pickups. I remember many a time making him a travel pack with chocolate chips, raisins, pictures we drew, etc., I also remember anxiously looking out the window, waving to him in the plane and trying to find him through the window whenever a plane pulled in. I remember him loving the song, Close to You, and me learning to play it on the piano for their anniversary. I remember him teaching us how to read by having flashcards that read jump, somersault, run, etc., and deliberately not filling our living room with furniture so we could exhibit our youthful exuberance. He composed the song, Ride Your Horse, Little Cowboy, which was later amended to Cowgirl with the arrival of Clee. 
I remember racing him on the beach, me being the hare, him being the tortoise. A little history on George. George Epstein received his Ph.D. from UCLA in 1959 and worked in aerospace industry for a number of years. He quit his job when his company wanted him to work on offensive missiles. He became a professor of computer science at Indiana University from 1973 to 1985. During this time, he published 82 technical papers and 11 literary poems in various books. His book on multiple-valued logic design and introduction is in 77 university libraries around the world. He also won 10 research and travel awards. Here's another one of his poems titled, The Young Conductor. When he is two and one-half months old, he is beginning to form. His baby hand holds my hand. My song counterpoints. This is the way we live and play, live and play, live and play. This is the way we live and play all the live long day. This is the way we dance and sing, dance and sing, dance and sing. This is the way we dance and sing all the live long day. His eyes glitter with glee. Here's some other thoughts about George from his wife, Lori. She says, when George coached Mark's third grade team in basketball, George insisted that every boy have a chance to play in every game. At the end of the season, he gave each boy a trophy for trying his best. George's team finished in last place. George always brought me flowers and candy. I complained so much that he told me if I didn't stop complaining, he would stop bringing gifts to me. I quickly learned to shut up. He's been writing poetry for over 50 years. I knew he wrote some and sent them to family and friends. And I was really surprised after he passed away that he had enough poems to fill 18 books. Here's one last poem before we tell you how you can get George's book. The title, Words from an Artist and Actor. I am the blank canvas waiting for my paint, but I am too cautious, for the canvas remains blank. There is a time when the canvas and I will become color. It is at a time when canvas and artist become one. There is a time when artist and actor become one. It is at a time when canvas and the actor upon the stage become one. There is a time to lay down the script. There is a time for the curtain to open. That time must come. That time arrives now. The title of this book of poems, Day Door Soul, and the poet, George Epstein. And I've been sharing information about George from his wife, Lori. And also, you can get his book, Day, Door, and Soul, through the publisher, which is iUniverse, or by going online to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. This interview has been brought to you by iUniverse. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.